Shalom, welcome to Tanakh study. Once again, this is uh, Alex Israel with you from Alon Shvut. Today we're going to undertake a uh, chapter 24, Peret Haftalad, one of the longest prakim in Sefer Breshit, with a mammoth 67 psukim. We're not going to get through the whole thing today, I think the first half. And this is the amazing story of um, Avram's slave. Many people think he is called Eliezer, but in fact, in the whole chapter, he is never called by that name. He is either called Ha'eved or Ha'ish, and uh, he is, this is Avram's uh, slave or servant who is sent to find a wife for Yitzchak. Let's begin reading from the beginning. Avraham Zakein Babayamim. Avraham is old. Uh, getting elderly, Hashem beirachet Avraham bakol, and Hashem had blessed Avraham with everything. But of course, even though he has everything, the one thing he needs is a continuity. And Yitzchak is not married. Avraham says to his servant, the elder of his household, who ruled over everything that he has. His foreman, if you want, his um, CEO, and says, Put your hand under my thigh. I will make you take an oath by the name of God of the heavens and God of the earth. You will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanim amongst who I live, go to my land, to my birthplace, and take a wife for my son, for Yitzchak. The servant said, The servant says, Maybe the woman, if I'm going to take a wife, from your land and from your birthplace, maybe she won't want to follow me. Notice the verb, lalechet, like lechlecha, to this land. Should I return your son to the land which you, which you left? Under no conditions, be very careful. Do not return my son there. And now he repeats again, Hashem Elokei Hashem, the God of the heavens, who took me from my father's house, or me eretz moladeti, and from the land of my birth, vashediberli, vashenishpali, who spoke to me and has promised me, saying, lezarachai, tenet aretz hazot, to your offspring I will give this land, who, ishlach malachot lefanecha, he will send his angel before you, velakachta isha livnit misham, and you shall take a wife for my son, from there, if she doesn't want to follow you, you will be cleansed of this oath. However, I insist that my son will not return there. The servant puts his hand under Avram's thigh. He swears to him, 
This is the first of four scenes in this particular chapter, and we're going to analyze this scene. Uh, the, the four scenes here are the scene of the oath, the scene by the well side, where uh, Evad Avraham meets Rivka, the scene back in Rivka's house, where he negotiates with Rivka's parents and brother, and then the final scene when Rivka, back in Eretz HaNegev, meets Yitzchak. These are the four scenes of the chapter. So let's try and begin with the, with the notion of the oath. Why is it so important to take an oath in this regard? And I think if we, if we look at this, we'll see that the critical thing which Avram needs him to do is under no conditions to return um, Yitzchak over there. He mentions twice right at the beginning, Be very careful lest you take my son back there. And Rak et Bani lo Tasheb Shama. I insist that my son not return there. This is one of the critical elements here that uh, need taking an oath. This is something that Avram wants to be very, very strict about. But I would argue that even deeper than this, Avram, the notion of taking an oath, um, we've already seen in the last chapter, chapter 23. Avram adopting a tougher stance. All his life Avram wandered from place to place and never bought real estate. Suddenly now, with Sarah dead, Avram is thinking about his future and he is establishing facts on the ground. He is establishing red lines which cannot be crossed. In the case of the discussion with Bnei Chait in chapter 23, he was insistent that the land belonged to him be registered according to law, with everybody witnessing. Here, Avram is also taking a emphatic stance in order to make sure that the person to whom Yitzchak will get married will have the correct qualities and uh, not be put in a compromising position. Um, I think this is very interesting. Could it be that Avram is feeling, because of Sarah's death, a certain mortality, a certain sense, as it says at the beginning of this parsha, Avraham zakein babi amim. Avram is getting older, and if he doesn't assure the future of the family, then who will? In this regard, the notion of a shvua, he says va'ashbiacha, um, and as the servant says at the end of this uh, particular scene in uh, pasuk tet, verse nine, um, and he swore to him, the emphasis on the oath here, which is a, a word which comes up several times. The oath is definitely the word of a shvu'ah. We've seen that before. And we see it at the end of the Akedah, where God says to Avram, or the angel of God says to Avram, In God's name I take an oath, in other words, I'll bless you and I'll make your offspring like the stars in heaven. The oath is, Avram's oath is reflecting God's oath. Avram is now trying to further that project that there will indeed be this offspring. And maybe let me say there is one other place where there is an oath, and that is the oath taken with Avimelech, where Avimelech talks about um, 
הישבה לי באלוהים הנה אם תשכור לי לניני ולנכתי. Your descendants should not betray my grandson and my great grandson. Uh, this is fascinating. It seems like an oath is always something re- that relates to future generations. And Avram uses this tool to ensure his future generations. One of the strange things here is the notion of putting a hand under the thigh. And here, we, there are two ways to see this particular action. Ibn Ezra says that putting under the thigh, he says, the serv- somebody will, it's a way of taking an oath in, in, in other cultures. Why? Because the master sits down with his uh, full body weight on the hand, And that's if to say, uh, you are under my control. In other words, when, Eli, when, when, the, when the servant of Abraham puts his hand under his thigh, he's saying, I am under your control. I am under you. However, uh, we do find in many, many places that the notion of Yerach, um, and this is what uh, Rashi comes along, is a euphemism for the organ of reproduction. Rashi, for example, says that um, in order to take an oath, you have to hold something of holiness. And at this time, Avram's holy item was the item under which he'd made a covenant with God through the Brit Milah. And therefore, the thigh is a... He puts his hand by the thigh in order to be near an object of, of holiness or to hold an object of holiness, the object of the covenant. I don't know if we go, need to go so far um, to say he actually... held the Brit Milah, but I would say this, the notion of a Yerach is a euphemism for the reproductive organ. For example, we'll frequently find Yotzei Yerach Yaakov, those who uh, come out of the progeny of Yaakov, but the word used is Yotzei Yerach Yaakov, those who come from his loins. Of course, they come from a more intimate organ, but we call it the Yerach. Here too, I imagine that the slave indeed put his hand under Yaakov's uh, leg or under his thigh. But this, if you want, again cuts to the essence of what's going on here, which is that Avram is interested in his progeny, interested in the future. And here I'll focus on one milamancha, one word which comes up seven times in our chapter. And that is indeed the word yad. Fascinatingly enough, This word, a simple word, comes up seven times. And it starts off with the slave having um, a yad, having this uh, notion of uh, the hand under the thigh. Later that yad is going to manifest itself in a different way when the uh, servant in Pasuk t- uh, Yud is going to take the ten camels, v'chol tuv adonav biyado. Suddenly, in his hand, he's going to take all the good of his master in his hand, meaning his wealth, which, of course, then when he's going to discover this girl, she lowers her jug, Rivka, and gives him to drink, showing her qualities in her hands. And the reaction of this is that the slave of Avraham then puts um, two uh, bracelets on her hands, almost transferring that good, that wealth of Avraham over to 
her hand. So the, the hand here is going to be something significant. It represents the oath. It represents, if you want, the, the slave acting in a sort of sense of agency. It's going to represent Rivka's act of kindness. And it's also going to be a symbolic means of the slave transferring Avraham's wealth, Avraham's bounty to Rivka and designating her as the one who is going to marry Yitzchak. So this word hand is very, very important. Now, why does Avraham need to be so pedantic here? And I think here we can we can relate to something quite obvious. Let's go back to the key phrase here. Uh, well, we'll deal with two two key phrases. He says, number one, in verse three, "Lo tikach isha livni mibnot hakani asher anuchi yosheb bekirbo." Do not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites amongst who I am living. Is that just in sort of informational? We didn't know that he lives amongst the Canaanites. Or maybe in this sense, Asher is because I live amongst them. And this is the explanation of the Kliyakar, who says that the reason is because I live amongst them. If I, if he marries a local girl, there will be a cult, cultural interchange. There will be an exchange. Sometimes he'll have to go to the in-laws for Yamtif. Sometimes they'll come to him. And he will go and celebrate on their family occasions and inevitably him and his children will be introduced to the pagan surroundings and the degenerate practices of Kena'an. The only way to assure that the woman who Yitzhak marries will be unrelated and unaffected and untainted by the degenerate practices of Kena'an is to find a girl from far off. Clearly Avram understands there's something about his Artsiva Moladati uh, we'll come to that in a second, and to bring her to Eretz Yisrael, and then she will be um, disconnected from her family. She won't have connection with any of the Ambien culture, neither in Mesopotamia or in Canaan, and in that regard, we will have a situation in which she will be able to develop in the Abraham household in a sort of secluded manner um, to continue those values. In this regard, Avram sends to Artsi and Moladati. Does he mean his family in particular? Did he earmark his family? That's certainly the way that certain of the commentaries understand it when he says, go to Artsi Moladati. And I quote, for example, Rasag, who says, Don't go to people who are not my relatives. Moledet in this regard relates to Leda, birth, go to my family. Ibn Ezra disagrees, and Ibn Ezra says, El Artsi, that's Haran, Moladati, or Kastim. In other words, he wasn't specifically told, Moladati, like the Redux says, Ha'ir Shenoladati Ba, the city in which I was born. Uh, this is going to be quite important later on. Um, Avram seems to doesn't necessarily tell him to go to his family. He doesn't say Beit Avi. Just he says Artsi or Moladati. Whether he thinks there's something special there in that particular culture, or whether he simply wants, and here maybe I will say, he he almost wants Rivka 
to do what he did. Look at the way he speaks here. Pasuk Zion. God who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth. And he always refers to it just as Sham. She will take a wife from there. And he talks about that she's going to Lalechet Acharai El Haaretz Hazot. She is going to she's going to do her own Lechlecha. And as we will see later on, um, Rivka indeed is going to, in a certain sense, be a another Avraham, a, a surrogate Avraham, a duplication of Avraham. She is going to do her own uh, journey from Mesopotamia to the land of Israel, but she's going to reflect Avraham in several other ways, as we will see very, very soon. So let's move on with the story. As we've set out the fundamentals of what is going on here the sense that this is a parasha which deals with continuity that Avram is being emphatic and he is trying to establish the future and and that it's very very critical that Yitzchak doesn't marry anybody local because the idea is to have this sort of um, cultural isolation around the house so that we don't have the interchange of cultures between Beit Avraham and Canaan, which is seen as so degenerate. Pasuk Yud, The slave takes ten camels from his, uh, the camels of his master, certainly a sign of huge wealth. He takes all the wealth of his master with him, again laden with, uh, with wealth. He goes to Aram between the rivers, El Nahor, to the city of Nahor. We, 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 the reader, are being told something here, much like in the Akeda when we're told Elohim Avraham that this is but a test. Here, we, the reader, are going to be told that this is the city of Nahor. Nahor, Avram's brother, lives there, but of course, he doesn't necessarily know that. He might have gone to any major city. He doesn't know maybe Nahor has moved on from there. We, the reader, are being told, as we will soon also be told the identity of Rivka, something which maybe even the Eved doesn't know. He ties up the camels outside the city, El by the well. Towards evening, late, at the time when the girls came out to draw the water. Interesting that it was women's work. The Sha'avot. It seems like this was a time when the girls came out. And not the men. So this was an ideal time to find a wife for Yitzchak. Now here many have noted the presence of a, a, what we call in the literary school a type scene. This is not the only time that a couple meets by the well. Of course it's Yaakov who meets his wife uh, Rachel at the well and Moshe Rabbeinu who also meets Tzipor, uh, to meets uh, his wife Tzipporah by the well and uh, of course why the well well first of all I think on the clearest uh, uh, most elementary dimension this is a place where a lot of people hang out for want of a better word a lot of people are there it's a place where you can sit and and watch everybody go by and if you want to, approach somebody just as they're drawing the water and meet them. 
Others have denoted that the Be'er represents the notion of fertility, of course water giving life and, and all of that, and even maybe a sort of feminine image of the well. But if we can come back to this commonality between these three scenes, we always see the, the man being active in this in this situation. Of course it is Yaakov who gallantly um, pushes the stone off the well, impressing Rachel um, and, and, and instigating the relationship. Likewise, Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who saves the daughters of Yitro and impresses Tzipporah. And here, of course, Yitzchak is the absent one. Yitzchak is not even there. He sends a surrogate. And who is the person who is full of industriousness, who is uh, full of activity? That is Rivka. It is Robert Alter in his book, The Art of Biblical Narrative, who therefore says that in each case, this is going to relate to the relationship later. For example, we're going to see that uh, Yaakov pushing the um, stone off the well is going to need huge strength to push through that relationship with Rachel. And even the stopping up of the well represents the fact that Rachel is going to be barren for a long time. Likewise here, he says that we see that Yitzchak is a sort of passive character who frequently is not uh, quite present in some of the scenes and that it is going to be Rivka who is going to be the one who is going to be pulling the strings, who is going to be the one who is active. And therefore, this scene represents something about their future relationship. It's not merely that the scenes sort of have similarities, but they are a key to what happens later on. However, there are other opinions when it comes to this particular aspect of things. And it is... Uh, Rabbi Professor Jonathan Grossman, in his wonderful book on Avraham, who suggests a different reading here when it comes to this scene. And we want to see Rivka so busy, because Rivka, as I've said already, is going to represent Avraham Avinu. And how is she going to do this? Because she is going to be a person who, as we will see in a few minutes, runs by Vataratz, she is going to Vatimaher, she is going to hurry, she is going to offer extensive hospitality, she is going to offer a place for the night, and in this regard, she is going to remind us very, very much of Avraavinu. In fact, even the phrase which is going to be used later on when we see um, the man, the, the Eved, request for water. And the language used by the Eved here is Give me a little bit of water is so reminiscent of what we know from Avraham in chapter 18 where there we see him receiving the, the three guests, the three angels and there he says Very reminiscent of Avraham. Well, we haven't yet met uh, Rivka. So let's read what happens when the Ebed comes to the well. And he starts with a prayer. It says, Vayomer, Vayomar, Hashem Elohei Adoni Avraham, Hakrein Alephayonai Hayom, Vasi Chesed Im Adoni Avraham. Hashem, 
the God of my master Avraham, please give me good fortune today or give me a sign and do kindness with my master Abraham. I'm here by the well and all the uh, girls from the village are coming out to draw water. It should be that the girl or the young lady to whom I say, please incline your jug and let me drink. And she will say, you drink and also I will give your animals to drink, your, your camels to drink. That will prove that will be the one that is proven to your servant to Yitzchak. Here, by the, way, the, by the way, the use of the word servant refers to Yitzchak. Therefore, I will know, says the, says the servant of Abraham, that you have done kindness with my master, that is, with Abraham. Notice how this uh, prayer begins with the word chesed, chesed and ends with the word chesed. It's a beautiful chiastic prayer, but also the emphasis on the word chesed. And now let's keep reading. Vayihu Terem, verse 15. Pasuk Tetva. Vayihu Terem Kilaladaber. He hadn't even finished. And the sense is that the narrator is telling us that this is happening in a in a in a mode, a fortuitous mode, a mode that God is guiding events, even though God is not mentioned here. Let me emphasize, God is not mentioned here, neither is the angel. Do you remember Avram said, God will send his angel before you. The angel is not mentioned. Everything here is by force of human activity. And the aim here is to show that even though the way this is going to work is that it's going to be clearly divine, it's all going to happen by human agency, by human action, by human choice, and this is going to say something about the characters involved. He had not even finished speaking in a Rifkayot state, and Rivka comes out, and just in case we don't know who she is, very important, she is the daughter of Betuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor. In other words, she's descended both from Haran, Avram's brother, through Milcah, and through Nahor, Avram's brother, Achi Avraham. The Kada al Shikma, she is carrying her jug on her shoulder. She's very beautiful. Betula, she's a virgin. She had never been intimate with a man. She goes down to the well or to the spring and she fills up her jug and ascends. The The assumption is that the spring is sort of in a gully or in some sort of lower place and that um, Evid Avraham has uh, all his animals crouching slightly above the well. This also gives him a good uh, vantage point to see the girls of the village coming out. The Eved runs towards her and says, Please give me a little water from your jug. Interestingly enough, this isn't what he said he was going to do. He said he was going to say, Please tip your jug and let me drink. Here he uses a different language. It seems like he himself was nervous and therefore he minimizes what he's asking, he said, please give me a little water, 
instead of saying what he thought he was going to say before, pour out your jug to let me drink. So he had almost minimized the request. And with this minimized request, we're going to see the magnanimous, the, magnan- the, the very generous response of Rivka. Vatomesh Shetadoni, drink my master. Vatamaher Vatored Kada al Yada Vatashkehu. She says, drink my master, and she hurried to lower her jug and give him to drink Vatakal Hashkoto. And when she finished giving him to drink, Vatome Gamnik Malecha Eshav, I will also draw for your camels Ad Imkilu Lishtot until they had finished to drink. Vatamaher, she hurried Vatar Kadala Shoket and she poured out her jug into the watering trough and she ran down again to um to draw for all of the all the holgamalav for all of his camels here when we have a prayer which uh, where the slave puts down certain terms we need to be able to see the way that the way things play out are even greater. Notice the way he said it originally. He said he was going to ask for a drink. In the end, he only asks for a little. But he says, if she says, um, drink, and also I will give drink to your camels. In other words, the assumption was she would pour out from her jug for him and also pour out the rest of the jug for her camels. But notice what, and also she was going to, he was, she was meant to say this in sort of one breath drink and I'll also give your camels to drink. But look at the way that Rivka does things. First he says um, can you give me a little bit of water from your jug? Verse 17 and she says, drink my master. First of all, talking to him in a very respectful way she hurries, which she didn't say, and she pours out her jug and gives him to drink. She doesn't mention the camels. At this point we're saying, oh no, this isn't the girl. But it says when she he finished drinking, in other words, she's fully sure he's drinking, she says, and he drank the whole lot, it seems, Gam oh, I'll draw more for your camels, ad im till they're finished drinking. And now, vatamaher, she hurries again, vatar kadala shoket, she pours whatever's left into the uh, watering trough and runs down to the be'er and draws for the camels, um, showing now here we see a tremendous generosity where she's exceeding what the slave had said in his uh, prayer to God and it's happened so immediately and therefore it says mishta'ela, he's in wonderment Maharish, he's simply silenced Hashem he wants to see if this is really going to happen and indeed, she 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 draws for all of the camels. He's thinking while she's going down, is she really going to come back and water the camels? And she does. And then he knows this is the person. We know this is Rivka. We know that she's part of the family. He doesn't know this. And what does he do immediately? He gives her two uh, bracelets to Nezem Zahav Beka Mishkalo, a nose ring, and then two bracelets on her hand, Asara Zahav Mishkalam, made out of gold, really heavy gold. And that's when he says, But me at Hagida Nali, Hayesh Betavicha Makom Lanun. Who is your father? Is there a place in your father's house for us to, to, to stay? 
And by the way, he, again, he has no understanding that this is a member of the family. And it's at this point that she says, She gives out the family a connection. And more than that, she says, He's just asks, have, I got, have you got a place for me to stay? But she says, we have straw, we've got enough for the camels. And this is when he bows down to God and says, Baruch Hashem Adonai Avraham. Blessed is God, the uh, God of my father, of my master Avraham, that chesed was again, who did not abandon the chesed and then met the kindness and truth from my master. God has led me here. Beit you can imagine only his surprise it's amazing he wasn't even sent necessarily certainly if we follow the Ibn Ezra he wasn't even sent to the house of Batu, of, of Avram's family he was just sent to the broad region he the girl who he saw who exhibited such chesed such kindness such uh, wonderful hospitality he didn't know that she was family and he was prepared to betroth her there and then and yet suddenly he finds her at the last minute that she's actually part of family and this sort of really gives him the sense that the hashgacha has been here all the way along notice by the way that we also see something remarkable about Rivka she doesn't seem to pay any attention to the jewelry she's given she in the next uh uh, in the next scene she goes and says all these things what did she say she says you know I found a man at the well who needs a place to stay and he's got a lot of camels it seems also amazing that Rivka's family as a whole seems to be incredibly hospitable because here she is and she's able to offer her house without even consulting with her parents but the one thing she doesn't seem to be paying any attention to is this jewellery it doesn't seem to matter to her and this maybe will show us in another way just how special Rifka is. Okay, our time is up. In fact, we're way over time. Uh, we'll have to take up the rest of this chapter, please God, in our next time we get together. See you tomorrow.